Good morning, y'all. Man, it is so good to be here this morning. You guys agree? Yeah, it's a good morning. Even though it's like rainy and nasty outside, I'm glad it's getting cool. You know, I always look forward to this time of year when it cools off a little bit. Summer is really my favorite time of the year, but by the end, I've kind of had it. I'm ready for it to cool down a little bit. Um, but look, welcome to Christ Church. Uh, I want to just take just a second to introduce myself just because I know that um, there are some new faces here at Christ Church who might not know me. I've been, I, I've been a part of Christ Church since 2006. Um, I was on staff working with Tim and, and, and Denise and, 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 and a part of this church since 2006. Uh, and I stepped away a few years back to go work with Campus Christian Fellowship. And um, as much as I love doing that, like it does pull me away a lot on Sunday mornings. I find myself going and filling in at other churches or uh, doing stuff for the ministry. And so I'm not here as often as I would like to be. And it's been a while since I've had a chance to get up here and teach. But my name is Jordan Clark. Um, and I know a lot of you guys, like I'm, it's so great to be up here and just see all the familiar faces and all the people that I, I, I just love so much as a part of this church. Um, but uh, I, I did want to just take a second and, and, and ba- basically make sure that you guys know that I'm not Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, Tim is here this morning, but I am filling in for Tim. Um, Tim had an injury to his eye this week, and he's just taking some time to kind of just rest and kind of re- recover a little bit from that injury. Um, and he asked me if I fill in preaching, and I was happy to do it. I'm so excited to be here to, to share with you guys. We're currently going through a teaching series about gratitude. It's a, it's a series called Gratitude, and this time of year leading up to Thanksgiving, uh, this is the time of year when we, most, uh, when we think most about all the reasons that we have to be grateful. Um, some families, maybe, maybe some of y'all's families are like this. Some families have like a tradition even on Thanksgiving Day of going around the table and talking about the things that they're thankful for. Um, and others, they have a tradition of taking to social media. Anybody been on social media and seen like the 30 days of gratitude? Every day in the month of November, a lot of people are posting things that they're thankful for. Uh, w- this is a time of year where we take time to reflect on the things that we have to be grateful for. No matter what your tradition is or whether you even have a a tradition of gratitude uh, that you observe at this time of year, this is the time of year where we're most likely to be reminded to be thankful. Um, And we have so much to be thankful for. Um, So I I mentioned that I work with Campus Christian Fellowship. Um, Oh, we got some students over here from, hey, these are uh, some, some of our students from CCF and Travis and Connie that I work with are here. Yeah, that's right. Good to see y'all this morning, um, but they know I'm I'm used like I'm used to having a little bit of back and forth, um, so this might be a little bit out of the ordinary for y'all, but but we're gonna roll with it anyway. Uh, I want to know what are some things you guys are thankful for, and look, just shout it out, okay? What, what are some things y'all are thankful for? Family, wife. That's why whoever said wife, that was the right answer. What else? What else are y'all thankful for? Freedom. Yeah, man. Yep. Health, family. Jesus. Oh, man, now that was the right answer. That was the right answer. We have so much to be thankful for. I, I want to I just share some of the things that I'm thankful for. I have a lot to be thankful for. We all have a lot to be thankful for, and I'm thankful for my family. Um, I'm thankful for my parents uh, who are now coming to Christchurch. They're a part of Christchurch. They moved here to Greenville after my dad retired. They're not here this morning. They're up in Virginia visiting my sister, who I'm also thankful for, uh, my sister and her family, and uh, she is actually right now pregnant with twins. Um, so I guess apparently at, b- between uh, me and Becky and now my sister, I guess twins running the family now. Um, so I'm thankful for my sister and her family. I'm thankful for my four kids who are back in kids' church and back in, uh, in, in uh, Sunday school. You know, uh, my, my youngest, Maggie, is in Mr. Burt's class now, and she just 
absolutely loves Mr. Burt's class. Um, but most of all, and I saved the best for last, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my wife and everything. She, she actually is here this morning. I don't know if she's in here yet because she was serving this morning with the children's ministry, helping with check-in today. Um, and I'm just I'm incredibly grateful for her. I'm also thankful for my church. I'm thankful for you, okay? I'm thankful for all of you. Um, I'm thankful for the small group that I get to be a part of on Sunday nights, even though we've missed a lot of Sundays this, this, uh, this fall. Um, but I am thankful for that small group and everybody that's in it. Um, I'm thankful for the worship team that every once in a while I get an opportunity to, to, to serve with here. Um, and I'm thankful for the many lifelong friends that I've made over my years here at Christ Church. Um, I'm also thankful for the ministry that I get to be a part of, um, Campus Christian Fellowship. I'm thankful for the students. This is just a small handful of the students, but we've got a bunch of students at CCF. And I'm just grateful that I get to, to serve them, to, to minister to them, to be a part of their life, part of their journey as they go through this really critical time in their lives. Um, and I'm thankful for the, the chance that I get to partner with Travis and Connie Taylor. I'm thankful for their family and just everything that they bring to the ministry as well. It's, it is truly a blessing to be a part of Campus Christian Fellowship. And speaking of blessing, I'm thankful for all the ways that God provides for me and for my family. I'm thankful for God's blessing, and I'm thankful for the, the faith, the confidence that I have that regardless of my circumstances, that I am still blessed by God. I mean, you know, <laughs> what's tough to do is to stand up here and talk about how I'm thankful for my family when I know that there are people out here who don't have family or who have lost important parts of their family. Uh, to, to talk about being thankful for my health when I know that there are people here in this room who, like, their health is not great right now. But what's amazing is whether your health is great or whether you're in poor health, whether, whether your family is all around you or whether you're mourning the loss of somebody this holiday season, like, God, God is blessing you. Like, God blesses you regardless of your circumstances. In a 2003 study entitled Counting Blessings Versus Burdens, an Experimental Investigation of Gratitude and Subjective Well-Being in Daily Life. That's a long title. <laughs> Published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough defined gratitude as a simple two-step process. And I really like this. First, recognize that you have obtained a positive outcome. Recognize that you have obtained a positive outcome. Second, Recognize that there is an external source for this positive outcome. You know, gratitude has been valued for millennia in, 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 in lots of different religious and cultural and philosophical traditions. Um, and even from a scientific perspective, the benefits of gratitude uh, really within a broad spectrum of wellness, like the benefits to your physical health, the benefits to your emotional, psychological health, your social health, um, individually and collectively as a group or in our relationships, the, the, the benefits are well documented. Dr. Summer Allen, writing for the John Templeton Foundation in 2018, wrote this, throughout history and around the world, religious leaders and philosophers have extolled the virtue of gratitude some have even described gratitude as the social, the quote, social glue that fortifies relationships between friends, family, and romantic partners and serves as the backbone of human society. I don't know about you guys, but I think that we could use some social glue right now. You guys feel that? So here's the big question. If gratitude is so simple, right, simple two-step process, if gratitude is so simple, and if gratitude is so good for us, right, that like 
everybody knows that it's good. Everybody agrees that it's good. If gratitude is so simple and gratitude is so good, and if we have so much to be thankful for, why is it that we always seem to be complaining? Do what? Yeah, (laughs) that's another good answer. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree that, that Satan plays a part in this. Why are we always complaining? Why are we generally so negative? Why are we constantly discontent? Why are we always grumbling about something? I want you guys to think about this, and let's go to God in prayer. God, this morning as we, uh, as we go through uh, this, this lesson today, as we read through some scripture and just talk about what you have to say about grumbling and gratitude, um, God, I pray that we would be challenged and convicted and not just reminded of the things that we have to be grateful for, but God, I pray that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal to us what is inside our hearts, God, so that we would see and we would recognize and understand the heart of gratitude that we need to have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here's the deal. Grumbling and complaining are expressions of a heart of ingratitude. And so I want, you guys to, to, I want you guys to hold this question. I want you to pin it in the front of your mind this morning. What's in your heart? What is in your heart today? We're going to dig into God's word, and we're going to start today with the Israelites and slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus. For 430 years, the Israelites were in Egypt. And at first, in the book of Genesis, when they went to Egypt, they were, they were honored guests. They were the family of Joseph, Pharaoh's most trusted advisor. We don't really know exactly how long that lasted, but the Bible tells us that at some point, a new Pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph. And this guy was afraid of the Israelites. You know, the, the, the Israelite slavery was motivated by Egyptian fear. Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites. I mean, what had once been a family of 70 people across three generations had now grown to hundreds of thousands of people living in the land of Egypt. I mean, this was a a national security threat, you know? Um, But also, Pharaoh saw them not just a threat. He saw them as a golden opportunity. And so he enslaved the Israelites, and he abused them to the point that after 430 years, the Bible says that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, <laughs> this, I mean, this is, a, I'm, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but this reminds me, I'm studying the book of Revelation when Matt, Matt and I are, Matt Pinnell and I are in a, in a graduate school class right now studying the book of Revelation. And you know, over and over again in the, in the letters to the seven churches in, in Revelation chapters two and three, uh, Jesus says these words, I know your deeds. And this just kind of reminds me of this because I think God knows, he knows what we do, he knows what we say, he knows what we think, he knows what's in our hearts. And this can either be a really comforting thing, like in this situation, where God sees what's happening to the Israelites, and he knows. And he sees us, and he sees our struggles, and he sees the difficult things that we're going through, and he knows. He knows. Or it could be a little bit of a scary thing (laughs) to, to think, honestly, God knows what's in your heart. What you think is hidden from everybody else, God knows. But God saw the Israelites, he saw them in their, in their slavery, he saw them in their suffering, and it says that he knew. And God sent Moses to free them from their slavery and lead them out of Egypt. 
In fact, God even sent 10 crazy plagues. Um, and this is a whole long story that we're not going to get into today. But man, the book of Exodus, especially the first half of the book of Exodus, it's, it's exciting. Um, just crazy stuff happening. And God sends these plagues against Egypt. And eventually the, the, the Egyptians relent and they let the Israelites go. And Moses leads them out of slavery. And then they go and they, they, they come to the barrier of the Red Sea and they turn around and Pharaoh's chasing them. And they're afraid they begin to, to freak out a little bit. As you can imagine, if you saw an army coming after you, you might freak out a little bit. Um, but then God literally splits the water open and leads them through the Red Sea to safety on the other side. Um, it didn't take long, though, for them to begin grumbling. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 16. It says in verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, just a few weeks ago, the Israelites were slaves, right? They were, they were crying out to God in their suffering. Uh, Pharaoh was killing, literally killing their babies, throwing them into the river. And now everything that they ever could have hoped for has come true, but they're not happy. They're not happy. And to be fair, if we put ourselves in their shoes, like I don't know that we'd fare much better um, camping out in the wilderness and wondering where our next meal is going to come from. I think we might be a little bit grumpy too. God, however, is not happy with their lack of faith. It's going on in verse four. It says, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, because what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord." Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight they shall eat meat, and in the morning they shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And look, it happened just like God said it would happen. And, and really, for 40 years, this is how God provided for the physical needs of the people of Israel uh, with, with, with uh, uh, quail and with um, manna from heaven, this bread stuff that would just fall all around the ground, you know? Um, and I guess they, like, the 10-second rule was, like, on hold during this time. They just, whatever is on the ground is fair game, right? Um, sorry, it's my kids. Um, <laughs> But this would not be the last time that the Israelites grumbled and complained. 
It, it would also not be the last time that God, even though he's frustrated, clearly he's frustrated with their grumbling, it wouldn't be the last time that God graciously and miraculously provided for them. The real problem for the Israelites, the reason that they grumbled, is not that they didn't have food. And that might be what they thought. That might, they, that might be the reason they thought that they were complaining. But that's not really the reason why they were complaining. It's that their hearts were set only on what they lacked. Think about all they had been given. Literally their freedom from slavery. <laughs> Multi-generational slavery ended. But they couldn't see what God had done for them. All they could see was what they lacked. And that's because grumbling comes from a heart of ingratitude. You know, remember that, that earlier definition, recognizing a positive outcome and recognizing that it comes from an external source? You know, when I think of ingratitude, there are two stories from the life of Jesus that come to my mind. The first one is a parable, and the second one is a miracle. And I, I'd like to start with the parable here in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is a lot of money, by the way, who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I think of this as like, you know, he owed him 20 bucks, right? He owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? But he refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this is often called the parable of the unforgiving servant, but I think it could also be called the parable of the ungrateful servant. Because like the Israelites, instead of celebrating the grace that he had received, instead of celebrating the mercy that he had received, this evil servant was only concerned with what he lacked. I mean, just think, like, not only his own freedom, he's about to be thrown in prison, but not only his own freedom, that of his, his wife and his children. They were all going to be sold into slavery to pay his debt. Think about what, what he had just been given, and yet all he could think about was this 20 bucks that his buddy owed him. That comes from a heart of ingratitude. I want to flip over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. This is, a, this is a miracle of Jesus that I think we often overlook, but I'm going to start in verse 11, chapter 17, verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing, passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers 
who stood at a distance. Now, in Bible times, leprosy was kind of seen as basically a terminal illness. And not just any terminal illness, but like it, it, it also came with a stigma that meant you had to be separated from the community. So not only are you facing terminal illness, but you have to do it alone, right? You have to do it away from all the people that you love. You have to do it away from your church family. You have to do it away from your family, right? This is why they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, only one of them, how many were healed? Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered him, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Man, that's, that's a line that Jesus says a lot. Your faith has made you well. And I love, I love this. I mean, can you imagine being healed of what was to them a terminal illness and not thanking Jesus? Can you imagine being in the hospital, receiving cancer treatments, and Jesus just walks in and just heals you with a touch and not saying thanks? I mean, gosh. And I love what Jesus says, though. Your faith has made you well. See, it was the lack of that very faith that led to the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness. It wasn't their lack of food. It was their lack of faith. The problem with the heart of ingratitude is that it can never be filled up. A heart that's filled with ingratitude has, has no room to be filled up. It's always empty. No amount of blessing is enough because it will always lack something else. Complaining and grumbling come from a heart of ingratitude. And look, Jesus, Jesus is incredibly concerned with people's hearts. We've been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in our, uh, in our um, uh, Wednesday night Bible study with Campus Christian Fellowship all semester, and they've heard me say this a million times. Jesus is really concerned about what is in your heart. It's not just what you do that he cares about, it's what is in your heart. Because that's where what you do and that's where what you say, that's where those things come from. Now in Matthew chapter 12 this is what Jesus says about this. Either, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, when the words are coming out of your mouth that are always negative, always grumbling, always complaining about your boss, about your spouse, about your kids, about your church, you need to know that the problem is not your boss. The problem is not your spouse. The problem is not your kids. The problem is not your church. The problem is your heart. James echoes Jesus' teaching in the book of James. Um, you may have heard that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. But James would disagree with that. <laughs> he said that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
And in James chapter 3, starting in verse 9, this is what he says. Speaking of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's good news, though, because we have much to be grateful for, right? Because regardless of your circumstances, you have much to be grateful for. I mean, this would be a good time to remind you all, and this really is speaking of basically the whole Bible, that the original writers and the original readers of the Bible were not as wealthy and safe as we are right now. They did not have the rights that we have today in America. And yet they had much to be grateful for. They were in slavery. They were often in exile. They were under the oppression of one evil empire after another, often afraid for their lives. And the Apostle Paul epitomized the heart of gratitude. Now I want you to keep in mind that this is the same Apostle Paul who boasted that he had been flogged five times, beaten with rods three times, stoned, shipwrecked three times, constantly in danger, constantly in hunger and thirst, imprisoned multiple times, all for serving Jesus. This is what Paul wrote to the Philippian church when they sent him aid during one of his imprisonments. By the way, so the reason why they sent him aid was, if you think about it this way, uh, uh, when you go to prison in America, you get room and board. Um, but when you went to a, a prison in ancient Rome, you just got the room. <laughs> you didn't get the board, okay? Uh, and so the, the Philippian church, they send aid to Paul while he's in prison. And this is what, this is what he wrote back to them. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Man, verse 13 is like one of, one of the like top 10 uh, most out of context quoted verses of the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we like to say that about like our, uh, our confidence and our ability to achieve our goals. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying, when I am at rock bottom and my situation, my circumstance could not possibly be worse, I have learned the secret of being content, even in that moment. Not of getting out of that situation, but of being content in that situation. Paul wrote this from prison, and if this wasn't direct enough, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just very simply, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I don't think that that message is just for the Thessalonian church. That message is for all of us. Give thanks in what circumstances? All circumstances. 
How is it that Paul can experience all that and then he did not complain about it? It's because a heart of gratitude produces expressions of gratitude. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Colossian church in chapter 3, starting in, uh, in verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to that which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, all while giving thanks. And you need to know that a good number of the Colossian Christians, a good number of these people were slaves. If you read the letter to the church in Colossae, it's pretty obvious that at least some of the people in the church there were slaves. And I think it's likely that a lot of them were slaves. And this isn't Paul condoning slavery. It's him actually letting them know that even in slavery, they are free in Christ. And no one can take that away. No one can take that away. A heart of gratitude will produce expressions of gratitude. Expressions like forgiveness. Uh, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, if God forgives us, what is our appropriate response? It's forgiveness. If God forgives us, we forgive others. It's what Jesus teaches us to pray for. Father, forgive us as we forgive others. In fact, Jesus teaches that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Expressions of gratitude like forgiveness, like generosity. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation due to shadow or change. But God is the good Father who knows how to give good gifts. How can we be stingy when he has given us so much? Or what about service? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If Jesus was a servant, how can we hold ourselves higher than him? How can we be unwilling to serve? We're his disciples. We're his followers. As he did, so should we do. Philippians goes on in verse 8 to say, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sacrifice is an appropriate expression of gratitude. Jesus calls us to take up our own crosses and follow him. In fact, Paul, in in the letter to the Romans, he tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And finally, I think the most appropriate, the most all-encompassing expression of gratitude that we could talk about is praise. 
Psalm 104 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thank, give thanks to him and bless his name. Look, this is the only appropriate response to all that God has done for us. I was thinking, as I was sitting back there, we were singing all the songs this morning. I was like, man, I wish we were singing at the end. I mean, we got one more song, but I wish we, I wish we could take this, this time to reflect on our, our gratitude for all that God has done for us. And, you know, it just makes me want to sing. This is the only appropriate response for all that God has done. And if your heart is full, if it is full, not of ingratitude, but of gratitude for all that God has done for you, this will be the overflow. These things, forgiveness, generosity, service, sacrifice, and praise. And this doesn't just work with our relationship with God, although I think that's where it needs to start. This works with all of our other relationships. If you're thankful for the ministers who serve here at Christ Church, if you're thankful for Tim and Denise and Cruz, then you should give them forgiveness, generosity, service, sacrifice, and praise. Now, understand, I'm not talking about the praise that we owe to God. But man, sometimes it's nice to just be told you did a good job. If you're thankful for your spouse, you could give them forgiveness, generosity, service, sacrifice, and praise. Thankful for your kids? Forgiveness, generosity, service, sacrifice, and praise. Your boss, your employees, your coworkers, your neighbors? Forgiveness, generosity, service, sacrifice, and praise. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart? Remember, that's the question we started with. I hope you've been thinking about this. What is in your heart? And I'll tell you how you can know. If you're not sure how to answer that question right now, I can tell you how, how you know. Think about the words that you say. Think about the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you say to the people around you, the things that you say about the people around you, the things you post on social media. Look, what is in your heart will come out. What is in your heart will come out. Out of your mouth, out of your life, out of your relationships, and I'll be honest with you, it'll come out of your social media. That's why I don't like social media. Recognize all the reasons that you have to be thankful and let your mouth be filled with praise for God. Are you a grumbler? I mean, you don't have to answer that right now, but, but you know if I'm talking about you. Do you complain too much? Do you need to turn over a new leaf? Well, good news, good news. Jesus died so that you could have a new life. You have a reason to be grateful, regardless of your circumstance. Recognize the positive outcome and recognize that it comes from an external source. Recognize that all that you can be grateful for and recognize that God is the source of all of these things. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we are just so, so thankful and grateful this morning because we know that you are good and we know that you are powerful and we know that you are working in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our world. We know that you are at work. And when things seem the worst, God, we know that your blessing is still flowing. So God, I pray that we would have faith to trust in that. God, that our hearts would be full of gratitude and not ingratitude. God, that we would see all that you do and not focus on all that we lack. But God, that we would be able to say, like, like Psalm 23, that you are our shepherd and we lack nothing. We lack nothing. God, I pray that we would be people filled with praise 
filled with gratitude, that the words on our lips would be all about your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray.